Today is the last Sunday of the blessed month of Beba. Uh, the, this month is the second month of the Coptic New Year. The first month was Tut, the second month is Beba, and the next month is Atur. So in this fourth week, we are hearing this wonderful gospel of how our Savior Jesus Christ raised the widow, the son of the widow of Nain. Our Savior raised three people. He raised the daughter of Jairus when she was dead in her home. She raised, he raised the widow's son who was on the way to be buried. And then he raised Lazarus who was dead in the tomb for four days. Very early on in death, in the, before the burial and after the burial. And there's many of the fathers who have meditated on these three phases in terms of resurrecting someone from the dead. But it's enough for us to understand that our Savior is the one who conquers death. Now when it comes to this miracle, we find a couple of things that are peculiar. First off, when our Savior raises somebody from the dead, it's not permanent. Yes, the person is brought back to life for a while, but the person again will die after some years. The daughter of Jairus did not live forever, this son did not live forever, and Lazarus did not live forever. So this res raising someone from the dead has a limited scope and a limited meaning. Again, he says to this woman, do not weep. But he himself wept at the grave of Lazarus. So what is he saying here? And what is he doing there? How, why does he raise the dead even though the dead will die again? All of these are to give us a sign and to help us to understand that he is the one who conquers death. There are four things, four points that we can take from this gospel today. The first one is that, very basic, Christ did this miracle without anyone asking him to do this miracle. With Lazarus, his sisters called him. With Jairus, he was also called. And others have called Christ him. But this miracle, he did without anyone asking him. It is because God is compassionate. God is merciful. He doesn't insist that we must pray a certain amount, or must do certain works, or must um, uh, go to church a certain amount of time in order for him to be merciful upon us. He is the one who is very near to those who are suffering. <coughs> in the Old Testament, there were categories of individuals that were above other categories. The widow, the orphan, the stranger, these were the ones that God said to His people, you must pay special attention to these people. And God Himself wanted Israel to be like Him. Because God saw him, God was the father of the orphan. God was, uh, so to speak, the spouse of the one who had lost his or her spouse, or the one who had no one to take care of them. Because a widow was not just simply somebody who lost their husband. A widow was someone who had no one to take care of them. They weren't back then working and doing things that they could live separately or on their own. They were taken care of by their husbands. When their husbands passed away, then they had to rely on their sons 
And when their son passes away, this widow's only son passes away, she has no one to rely on. So God is the one who is close to those who are suffering. He is the physician of the sick. He is the comfort of the faint-hearted. He is the hope of those who have no hope. He is the help of those who have no helper. He is the harbor of those in the storm. And this, for us, is to help us that when we are asking for God to help us, it's not that we have to do something, we have to pray enough times, we have to ask Him enough times in order for Him to do it. But at the same time, it's not that we just leave Him and say, if He wants to do it, He's going to do it. If He doesn't want to do it, He's not going to do it. No, we have to engage with Christ, but understand most importantly that it is His will that we do not suffer. And the suffering that comes into this world is not because of Him. We can never ask the question, why did God let this happen? Or I should say it a different way. It is, when we ask this question, we do not understand who God is. And when we do not understand who God is, we are in jeopardy of being disrespectful in our approach to God. Why does God allow these negative things to happen? God does not allow these negative things to happen. Even in the first part of the liturgy that will, after the sermon, we say, death entered into the world, how? God put it there? Death entered into the world through the envy of the devil. And all evil is coming from the source of evil, which is the devil. The second words, second point that we can take is this phrase or this command that he gives to the, ver- to the woman, do not weep, do not weep. I said before, Christ raised Lazarus, but before he raised Lazarus, it said that he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And here is his words and the power of his words, do not weep. His words are to remind us that his word is powerful. His word, in fact, does stop the weeping of this woman. His word stops the procession and his word brings alive the man who is dead. Yes, Christ is powerful enough to take away the sting of any and every tragedy. And this is what we have to learn from these words, do not weep. Do not weep. Is the one who says do not weep, is the one who is able to take away the pain of the source of that weeping. Again, the one who says to us do not weep, is the one who is able to take away from us the pain the reason why we are weeping. I'm sure in our lives there are things that we have wept over or are currently weeping over. Christ is the one that has the power to say to us, do not weep. And it's not do not weep and forget about it. It's do not weep because He has granted us the victory. If you notice in all of the Psalms of last night, this morning, and right now, all of the Psalms say, give thanks. And this is another point that we'll get to. But, but the idea is that giving thanks because we are patient. We know that it's not today, now that God will act, but He will act. He will eventually <coughs> take away the pain that is causing our sorrow. Number three is He touches the coffin. He touches the coffin. There's one minor point under this, one minor subpoint, and there's a, a major point. The subpoint is that he touches the coffin even though, according to Jewish law, this would make him unclean. 
Christ touches the leper, even though under the Jewish law, touching one who has leprosy makes you unclean. Christ touches the woman or allows the woman who had the flow of blood to touch him, even though this is something that would make him unclean. Because Christ is the one who grants cleanliness. Christ is the one, the, the idea of the law was not to be implemented here in these aspects against Christ. And in a way, Christ is saying, this is no longer something that is unclean. This is no longer something that brings uncleanliness. Because he's the one who conquers death. And when he touches the coffin, we have to understand that, now this is the major point, that there is life in his touch. That there is life in his touch. He's the creator. He's the one that created everything. And from his touch flows life. And how often do, can we think about this verse that at his touch and at his words he has raised the dead? How often can we think about these words? And especially when we approach the body and blood of Christ and say to him, Christ, as you raised the dead man, raise the deadness of my soul. Raise what is incomplete or impure or unclean within me. Raise it. I don't want us to go mechanically taking communion every Sunday without there being some affection within us, some uh, desire within us to be united with the one who raises the dead, who heals those who have leprosy, who gives sight to the, to the blind, who allowed the sinful woman to touch him, the one who says to us, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. His touch is what we are seeking today when we come and approach Him for the body, uh, to partake in the body and the blood of Christ. And uh, there's one of my favorite stories just to tell you about the faith and what happens through our faith. That one of my favorite stories is about a blind woman who was in charge of a monastery or was watching the door of the monastery during the time of St. Daniel, of St. Daniel the Hageman, during uh, the, the fourth century, maybe the, a little bit of the fifth century, but during that period of time, she was watching a convent. And she opened the door because the person outside said that he was St. Daniel. She opens the door, but it's a thief. But she, in her faith, believes this to be St. Daniel. And she takes him and she makes him sit down and says, I must wash your feet. And she washes the feet of this thief. And she takes the water, the dirty water from this man's feet, and she puts it to her eyes and says, if this is the water from the, the feet of the holy saint Daniel, it can make me whole. It can make me see. And she received her sight. Did she receive her sight because of the, because of the thief was a holy man? She received her sight because of her faith. How much greater is the body and blood of Christ? How much greater is the body and blood of Christ than the dirty water from even from St. Daniel's feet? If we can approach with faith, we see miracles will happen. And the fourth point I'd mentioned a little bit earlier, but we'll complete. The fourth point is that we always... We always must give thanks. 
we always must give thanks and be capable of giving thanks. Now, first off, giving thanks, and especially for the kids. I want all the kids to listen to this point because it's an important point. You know that when your parents give you something or someone gives you something, you're supposed to say thank you, right? And sometimes when you don't say thank you, they might take it back and say, what do you say? You say, thank you. And then you get it, you, what you're supposed to. But the point behind this little lesson of you have to say thank you is that we must be, by nature, thankful people. You know, we must be thankful people for anything and everything we get. We don't, we don't go to, uh, for example, we go out for dinner and we're sitting at, you know, Cheesecake Factory and then we say, I wish I was at Chuck E. Cheese. They say, no, thank you, Mom, thank you, Dad, thank you for whoever. Or you go to McDonald's and you're ordering at McDonald's, say, I wish it was Burger King. No, we say thank you. Or you get a red car and you say, I wish it was a green car. Right? The idea is that we always must be thankful. Because when we're able to be thankful, then we're able to be true Christians. Thankfulness is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Thankful for all that God has given to us. Thank you, thankful for anything. Don't we say we thank you upon every condition, in whatever condition, and for any condition? We thank you for everything. Even if we're sitting at a funeral, we say we thank you. We're sitting at a wedding, we say we, th we thank you. We thank God everywhere, all the time, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, and all the Psalms today are, I will give you thanks. And what we do here in the liturgy is called, this is called in the Greek, or the Eucharist. The Eucharist is thanksgiving offering. And when we say thank you, it's not just we say thank you. We're actually offering to God something, and He's returning it back to us. The giving of thanks is the attitude and the offering to God for all the good that He has done. And we learn from the Gospel today especially that He gives us life. Yes, there is death in this world. Yes, there is suffering. But He is the source of life. And the resurrection of this Son is our resurrection as well. The miracle was not only done for this mother, but it was done for all of us. Yes, the son would die again, and yes, the, this mother would, would, maybe would have to mourn some other event in her life. But we learn from this gospel of Christ's compassion of what he wants to give us. He says to us, Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So for this we are thankful. And for being able to pray to him, we are thankful. And for having voices, we are thankful. And for having hands to raise in prayer, we are thankful. Let us take an approach. Anytime there's a, something we want to complain about, think of 10 things you should be thankful of first. And then you can go and complain about that. And hopefully by the time you say the 10th thing, you've forgotten what it is that you wanted to complain about. Always give thanks and have that eye that focuses on all that is good, all that is right, all that is going well, all that God has given to us. And may we take these four points home with us, that Christ is not demanding that we say certain prayers in order for us, for Him to give us of His compassion. In the point number one, point that He did not, was not asked to give this miracle. In point number two, weep not. 
His words are powerful enough and are given to us because He is the one that is able to take away the source of our pain, the source of our tragedy. Number three, His touch. He touches the open coffin. Let us approach Him even though we are unworthy to touch the hem of His garment. Let us approach Him in Holy, in holy Communion and ask Him to heal the deadness of our souls. And point number four, let us always give thanks. To God be the glory, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the age of all ages. Amen. Amen. Amen.